We've been on a series, uh, in a series about the life of Joseph this morning. And have you ever, uh, have you ever watched a movie or maybe read a book where there was just, there was just a moment in it that didn't feel like it fit? Like there's some movies that I watch that there's a scene in them that I'm just like, I don't understand how this went through every different order of production, editing, writing, all of the above, the premiere, and they still left this one thing in. Like it seems so obvious that it just doesn't belong in the story. There's, if I'm quite honest, there's some moments in scripture that I'm like, this just doesn't belong. If I was responsible for what actually made it into this book, I would not include these verses. I would not include this story. And yet, here they are. And in the book of James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, there are these verses that I just don't understand sometimes when I read them. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. I don't know about you, but if I asked you this morning to make a list of things that brought you pure joy, I'm pretty confident trials would not make it on the list. I don't think it would matter how long I gave you, how many chances I gave you, how many blanks to fill in. I don't think you would ever get to a point where you said, oh, trials are one of those things that definitely bring me pure joy. In fact, in my own life, I know that it's through those seasons where I'm walking through trials, I'm walking through pain, I'm walking through difficulty that actually bring the most sense of doubt about my faith, the most sense of questioning about my faith, the most sense of uncertainty about my faith. See, it's in those moments that James is telling us to have pure joy. I mean, honestly, I think I could be a little more accepting of it if it was worded just slightly different. Like if the verse said, do your very best to find the best in the most difficult situations, I think I could be on board with that idea. But pure joy just seems too far. Pure joy just seems like an impossibility when we're talking about trials. See, what I see so often in my own life and in the lives of others is that so often our circumstantial crises, crises become faith crises because we have viewed faith improperly. Because if you view faith only as a way out of crisis and not a way through crisis, then every crisis will be a crisis of faith. Because if you think that your faith is going to remove every crisis from your life, the moment you step into a crisis, your faith is weakened. Because suddenly your faith is not enough to withstand the crisis that you're in. See, we have to view faith as not just a way out of a crisis, but a way through a crisis. See, James is saying that the testing of our faith should actually make our faith stronger and not weaker. When we moved into our most recent house, we purchased the house, and the owner of the house, as we were kind of doing our final inspection, she was actually there, and she said, these windows in the front of the house, these are like the highest grade hurricane force impact windows you can get. And I was like, that's great. I was excited about it. It was cool to have the good hurricane windows. The back of the house, jank windows. But the front of the house, hurricane, awesome windows. And I got to tell you, for the last two and a half, three years as we lived in that house, I never sat in my house on a sunny day and was like, I'm so thankful for those hurricane force windows. I never sat and just thought, man, the sun is beaming right through them and they're still fine. This is incredible. I never 
really took into account the importance of those windows until last October when Hurricane Ian came at us like a force. And I decided I was not going to board up those windows because they said they should last. They said they were hurricane force windows. And I'm like, I'm going to see if these windows are all that they say these windows actually are. And so we boarded up the back windows because we knew they were trouble. But we left those front windows unboarded. And as the hurricane came in, we have this huge window in the front of our house. It's like a little bit taller than me. And I know they don't recommend this, but for the majority of the storm, I just stood in it and just watched the storm. And it was crazy because the palm trees in our front yard, they were blowing and bending like crazy. And at times you could hear our door kind of ebbing and flowing with the wind. But that window, it was as though nothing ever happened to it. it there was no movement in that window whatsoever. And I have to tell you, now I understand that those windows actually are as strong as they say they are. Uh, I knew what people had said about them, but now I have experienced a storm that actually lets me know they are as strong as they say they are. And see, this is what James is saying about the testing of our faith is that when we walk through trials that, that are unimaginable, the reason we can find pure joy is because we ultimately find that our faith is not weakened. Our faith is actually strengthened. That, that when we come through the storm, we realize our faith is actually as strong as we believed it was. Ultimately, what James is saying is this, is that God is far more concerned about your character than he is your accomplishments. God is far more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. God is far more concerned about your character. And so what should we ultimately expect from these trials that we're supposed to be so joyful in? If you look at verse 4 of James chapter 1, it says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Mature and complete, not lacking in anything. In other words, what James is saying is if you are searching for wholeness, if you are searching to not be incomplete, you're going to have to go through some trials in order to find it. That perseverance must actually finish its work in you. And isn't wholeness what we're all ultimately wanting? I mean, it, there is a movement right now towards wholeness. Everything you see online, on social media, is people looking for ways spiritually, physically, emotionally, just to be whole. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, we're approaching it holistically. I'm like, well, how were you approaching it before? Partially? Like, I mean, that's great. But we all desire ultimately to be whole. It's what we want. It's what we desire. See, for some of you in this room, you keep coming up against the same struggles, the same relational issues, the same unhealthy patterns, unhealthy habits. And the truth is that it's very possible that you have let, yet to let perseverance do its work in trials. That when you face trials, you're actually tapping out too soon to get what God wants you to learn in those trials. See, because sometimes avoiding pain is avoiding the maturity that God is trying to foster in you. Sometimes avoiding pain is avoiding the growth that God wants to foster in you. And so when you find yourself in a pattern where the relationship gets too hard, so you walk away, the conversation becomes too difficult, so you just don't have it. The pain becomes too much, so you just choose to numb it. When you find yourself in that position, you may be avoiding some temporary pain. You may be avoiding some temporary discomfort, but you also may be avoiding the maturity and the wholeness that you're actually seeking, that you are actually longing for wholeness, but you're avoiding conflict. You're longing for wholeness, but you're avoiding trials and discomfort. 
We've recently been playing the vintage, like, old-school Mario games with my girls, uh, specifically Mario 3, which there's no humble way to say it. I'm great at that game. I'm really good at that game. I grew up on that game. I can beat it, like, quickly, no whistles, no cheat codes, right through. I can beat that game because I'm familiar with the levels. I know where all of the obstacles are. And it was a real challenge for me as a father to watch my kids play this game. Because when I watch them play this game, I'm like, it's not that difficult. When one of those mushrooms with feet comes at you, jump on it or jump over it. Do something, anything. But I honestly, I play that game with my thumb on the forward button and B the whole time. I literally run through the levels. I run, I jump, I go through them because I know where everything is. When I watched them play, I did not know that Mario could move that slow. I did not know. Mario, if, if you just use the regular key, Mario walks like a, like a groomsman in a wedding where it's like left together, right together. It's so slow. It's like super, super slow. And then a mushroom's coming at them and I'm like, surely they're going to jump. And they do not jump. And they die. And then they get to the same spot. And I'm like, they've learned their lesson. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. They don't jump again. And then don't even get me started on the turtles or ducks or whatever those things are with the wings. Those are impossible for them to navigate. And it was so difficult for me to watch because I'm like, you could pass this level if you would just learn your lesson. You would pass this level if you would just learn what you need to do in this level. See, I think some of us, it's like we're playing the same emotional problems and the same emotional games over and over and over because we are not learning from the trials that we face. See, God does not cause every trial that comes your way, but God is so good that he will use every trial that comes your way to grow and mature you in your faith. He wastes nothing that we walk through. See, I think a lot of times the problem is we tap out too soon on everything from relationships to dieting to going to the gym to our spiritual life because we want to feel good more than we want to do the work to become good. Because there is temporary pain in becoming good. There is temporary pain in sacrificing the things that you want to eat and the things that you want to do in favor of the things that you should eat and the things that you should do. There is temporary pain in those things, but what we have to realize is that when you allow trials to do their work to help you become whole, when you become whole, you have everything you need to step into the dreams and the plans that God has for your life. Because when you become whole internally, suddenly you have something that no one can take from you. Because no one can take from you your character. Suddenly, you are no longer reliant on any external forces, any external circumstances, any external things to bring you the wholeness you seek. It is a work that God has done internally. And so, what does all this have to do with Joseph? As you might remember, we left last week with Joseph having been through a pit, and now he's in prison. And The story of Joseph kind of begins with his dream, but then we hear a lot about his day-to-day because it's easy to live in a dream, but it's hard to steward a single day. And yet, if you want to ultimately live in the dream, you have to learn to steward your days even when they are difficult days. And this is the moment that we find Joseph in in his story. I found it really interesting as I was studying through this story and I was looking at this passage in James and I was looking at the passages in Genesis. And this passage in James, when it says that, that count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, that the word many in Greek is literally multicolored. 
In other words, when you face multifaceted, a various amount of kinds of trials, count it pure joy. And I think it's so interesting that we're studying this character, Joseph, who begins by receiving a multicolored coat and then ends up going through a wide array of many trials in his life. And we left him in prison last week. And there's this interesting verse in Psalm 105, verse 19, and it says this, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Until the time came for Joseph to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested his character. See, what we see at the beginning of the story is God showing Joseph this dream. And then we see as he walks through an immense amount of trials, an immense amount of tough circumstances. And what we find out is that God is using those circumstances to shape Joseph's character into the kind of person who can step into the dream that God has for his life. Because a dream fulfilled before character is formed almost always ends in heartache. It almost always ends in heartache. These are the stories that we've all seen of people who rose to prominence, who, who gained power, and it looked as though they had everything together, but somewhere along the line there was compromise. Somewhere along the line there was a lack of character that caused them to fall. See, God knows that the dream that he has for Joseph's life is going to give him a great amount of power, but that he must first be formed into the kind of person with the kind of character that can steward that power before he can step into it. This year for Christmas, we got one of our girls a bike, and I was particularly excited about this gift because she didn't actually ask for a bike. She asked for a bike basket. But Kristen and I had been saying for weeks that, that she was outgrowing her bike and she didn't realize it. Like she was much too large for her bike and she didn't realize it. So she asked for a bike basket and this was just a great opportunity to over deliver. We're like, she asked for a bike basket. We're gonna get her a new bike with a bike basket. And so I was psyched on this gift. We went online a few weeks ahead of time. We found it. We found the one we wanted. It was perfect. We were so excited. And then the shipping got delayed. And I started getting real nervous. And I started calling the company and emailing the company. And finally, we found out that it was on its way. But I didn't end up and get the bike until Christmas Eve. And so I was going to be the stereotypical dad assembling a bike on Christmas Eve. And I, I love being a dad. And there's something that's just really, you know, it just feels right to be like up late assembling something on Christmas Eve. That is what dads do. Like, like, if you don't have something, you got to find something. If you're going to bed early on Christmas Eve, you're doing it wrong. No doubt, you're doing it wrong. And so we put on a Christmas movie, and we're like in the wrapping mode, and we're all excited, and I pull in this giant box into our kitchen, and I had it kind of like behind our island in case one of them got up so they couldn't see it. And it has this beautiful picture of the bike on the box, and I'm so excited. I open it up. I start assembling the bike and I get a little ways into assembling the bike, and I suddenly realize there are no handlebars in this box. I know. And, and I was like, okay, so I start checking. Maybe there's another box. Like some, there, There's got to be another box. I check the shipping. There's no other box. There are no handlebars in this box. And I, I, it affected me. Um, 
Um, I, I, I process things a lot in my mind, and I actually decided to go take a drive when I realized that the handlebars weren't in the box because I needed a moment outside of the Christmas music and outside of the Christmas music to just process what the next step might be. And also, I thought it was important that if any of these thoughts I was processing in my head happened to make their way out of my mouth as words, it would be important that I was in the privacy of my car. Because I was not happy with this company that sent this bike with no handlebars. And I was so upset. I was texting people trying to figure out if anybody else had a bike that I could steal handlebars from just for Christmas, just for Christmas Day. Like, what can we do to make this happen? I was literally driving to other people's houses, like, examining their bikes at, like, midnight on Christmas Eve. Like, I think maybe with this work, can I just take the bike and we'll see how it works out? And I remember I was texting people and someone said to me, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have, this is, like, her main gift. I don't know what we're going to give her. And somebody said, give her the picture. And I was like, that's not helpful. She's 10 years old. I'm not going to give her the picture. She can't ride the picture. That was my exact response. She can't ride the picture. I know they were trying to be helpful and that's snarky, but I said, she can't ride the picture. She can't actually use it because what was inside the box doesn't match what was outside the box. I can give her the picture all I want, but she cannot use it. And I think it's no mistake that we begin with seeing a picture of Joseph's life. We begin by seeing the dream that God has for his life. And we actually hear a lot about his external appearance. We know that he has this coat of many colors. We actually know from the text that he is a good-looking, rugged man. We know a lot about his exterior on the beginning of the story. But I think what God is saying through these trials that Joseph goes through is I have to make the inside match what is on the outside so that you can actually use what I'm giving you. Because you can't just use the picture. Like God can give you a picture for your life. God can give you a dream for your life. God can give you a vision for your life. But then it becomes your responsibility to become the kind of person that can carry out that picture, that can actually use that picture. What is on the inside must at some point match what is on the outside. And as we walk through the story of Joseph, we see very clearly specific areas that he grows in his character as he goes through these trials. And I want to highlight a few of those for you this morning, because I believe that sometimes when we see in other stories what God does in their stories, we can start to see what God is doing in our story. That when we see the trials that someone else went through, but what they became of it, what they brought out of it. Sometimes we can, we can see a little hope and a little light in our own story. See, James says that, that perseverance brings about hope. That ultimately, not only should we joy in our trials, but ultimately they should produce hope if we learn to persevere. Like if we actually learn to press through them, the next time we go through trials, we'll actually have hope. Because we'll know what God does and the work that he does in our lives as we go through those trials. And one of the first areas of growth that we see in Joseph's life is that Joseph grew in integrity. He grew in integrity. Uh, the word integrity comes from a mathematical term, integer. This is two weeks in a row I've used math in messages, guys. Not saying I'm a mathematician, but I'm not not saying it. But it means Whole. And we're talking about becoming whole. And you must be a person of integrity to become whole in the way that God wants you to be whole, to carry out the dreams that he has for your life. In Genesis chapter 39, yep, verses 6 through 11, it says this, Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of him and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him beside his cloak, by his cloak. Come to bed with me, she said, but he left his cloak in her hands and ran out of the house. I want you to notice in this moment that where Joseph is all alone with this woman that is pursuing him, that he had to refuse, leave, and run from her presence. There are moments where in order to maintain your integrity, you're going to have to run from some things. Like notice that he left behind the garment that she took. He didn't go back for it. Like sometimes you're going to have to leave some things behind and run in order to maintain your integrity. And, but this is not just Joseph making the right decision in this relational transaction. I want you to notice that, that Joseph in that moment, he didn't just say, oh, I could never do this to Potiphar. I could never do this to your husband. He said, how could I sin against God? See, when we realize that the decisions of our integrity are not just based on the decisions in the moment, but on the decisions that God would have us make, we make them through a different lens. We make them through the lens of how could I do this, not to you, not to me, not to others involved, but how could I do this to God? But your integrity doesn't just come into play in the decision that you make, because then Joseph is falsely accused and imprisoned. And your integrity has a lot to do with how you respond when you do the right thing and experience the wrong outcome. It's one thing to do the right thing and be rewarded for it. It's one thing to do the right thing and to be applauded for it. But to do the right thing and be imprisoned for it is a very different thing. And this is the situation that Joseph finds himself in. He does the right thing, but he experiences the wrong outcome. See, integrity does not guarantee immediate reward. It does not guarantee that you will immediately be applauded or immediately be rewarded. And this is why you have to view integrity as something between you and God. But I've noticed something else both in the scriptures and in life in general, which is that integrity is not just an internal decision. A lot of people will say to you, integrity is the decisions you make when no one is watching. And that, that's actually a good definition. That is a good idea of what integrity does in your life and what integrity is in your life. But I've also realized that there is an actual connection between integrity and courage. People that don't have integrity tend to lean towards being cowards. Because when you don't have integrity, you are constantly worried about being found out. You are constantly worried about people finding out who you actually are, what you actually do, the decisions you've actually made. And so often when you do not have integrity, it's a lot easier to shrink back and live in the shadows and hide when God is calling you to step out in courage. But in order to step out into the spotlight, in order to step into the power, into the dreams that God has for you, you have to have integrity in order to have the courage to do it. He grew in integrity. Number two, he grew in empathy. He grew in empathy. 
Joseph finds himself in prison, and we see this pattern that we continually see in Joseph's life, which is Joseph was favored in his household, and then he was taken as a slave into Potiphar's house, and he was favored in Potiphar's house, and then now he's thrown in prison, and it says he's put in charge of all of the prisoners. So even in prison, he's being prospered. He's being shown favor. There's, there's this pattern where people tend to see the favor of God on Joseph's life and then put him in charge of things. And so he's now in charge of all of the prisoners. And it says that two prisoners were thrown into the prison with him, and that Joseph noticed them. Look at it in, ver- in chapter 40, verses 6 and 8. It says, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. I think it's significant in this moment that Joseph noticed that they were sad, that Joseph actually noticed that they were going through something. I mean, at this point, Joseph has been falsely imprisoned for quite some time. He ultimately spends about 13 years in this jail. He's been there for a while. He could have been down on his own circumstances. He could have been very self-focused. He could have talked about his own circumstances, but it says he noticed that they were sad and he asked them. See, when we are self-centered, we don't see others. When we're focused on our own problems, we don't see other people's problems. In this moment, the bottom has fallen out of Joseph's life and yet he cares for someone else. The bottom has fallen out of his life and he notices someone else. It's interesting in this moment that these two men have had dreams, and they come to Joseph, who, as we know, has had a dream. See, when you go through trials, God will often bring people who are going through the same thing as you into your life, something you've already gone through, and they come and they say, we don't know what to do about this, and Joseph's able to say, I've been in this position. I've had a dream, but this is a really dangerous moment Because when you get into like-minded company and one set of them is still in the thick of it, still dejected, the easy thing to do would be to drown each other in your own sorrows. Oh yeah, I've been there. I've had a dream. I'm actually in this prison because of the dream I had. I'm actually down because of the dream I had. If I can give you any suggestion, man, it's don't even seek out the answer to the dream. Because I sought out the answer to my dream. I started telling people about my dream, and it landed me in prison. So I would just keep the whole dream talk quiet, and let's just keep this between us, and let's not move forward. But instead, Joseph says, listen, I can interpret your dreams. Tell me your dreams. Sometimes when you're in prison, sometimes when you're in the pit, sometimes when you're walking through trials and you encounter other people on trials, the best thing you can do is just say, tell me about what you're going through. I'll be an ear. I've walked through what you're going through. Just tell, I'll listen. I'll listen. I'll be there. I've walked through this. Joseph had to grow in empathy as he was in his own prison. The Journal of Experimental Psychology actually did a study on empathy. And one thing that they found is that people who were given power often did not have empathy. That power actually interfered with your ability to have empathy. And so they would do these experiments where they would give someone kind of arbitrarily some sense of small power and then give them an opportunity to be empathetic. And when they had the power, when someone had given them the power, their empathy actually decreased in the same experience. That when they had power over someone, their empathy decreased. See, I I think it's important to realize that, that God knew about Joseph's life, that he was going to carry a lot of power over a lot of people. 
and that he could either use that power to curse and keep his foot on the necks of people, or he could use it to bless and prosper people. And so God had to teach Joseph the empathy lesson before he gave him power. God had to make sure that Joseph grew enough in empathy that his power would not interfere with his ability to see others. And so he puts them alongside these two prisoners and gives them the opportunity to grow in empathy towards them. Because if you, if you gain power before you grow in empathy, your power will be used to abuse instead of bless. Your power will be used to put down instead of lift it up. And what's interesting is this encounter, this connection, is ultimately the way that Joseph finds his way out of prison. If you know the story, Joseph says to one of these people, he says, you're going to be restored to your position in Pharaoh's house, and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to remember me when you're back in Pharaoh's house. But he does not remember him. Until a few years go by, and Pharaoh has a dream, and so this cupbearer to the king who is back in his place says, hey, I remember a guy who interpreted my dreams. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that this was ultimately the connection that got him out of prison, that using his gift to minister to someone else is ultimately what got him out of his prison, is ultimately what freed him from the prison that he was in. See, there comes a point in grief and pain and loss, where you must turn your focus to others in order to get out of the prison yourself. You must turn to serving others in order to get out of the prison yourself. This is what God used in order to free him from his prison. See, Joseph could have been so concerned with getting out on his own that he could have ignored them. He could have said, man, it's every man for himself in here. I need to find my way out of here. But instead, when he realized that one of these people was going to go free, he said, listen, just when you get there, just remember me. Just remember me. Number three, Joseph grew in patience. I already mentioned that he was 13 years in prison. And not only was he 13 years in prison, but once this cupbearer was restored to his spot, the Bible says, when two full years had passed, the cupbearer remembered him. I love that it says when two full years had passed, as though there's anything other than full years. But I think it's important that they were emphasizing these were full years. That two full years passed as Joseph waited and grew in patience. See, Joseph had to get comfortable with waiting. Joseph had to get comfortable with waiting. See, what happens a lot of times is the longer that we wait, the more tempted we are to manipulate the process to get to where we want to go. Joseph could have tried to manipulate the process to get out of prison. Joseph could have tried to find his way out. Joseph could have tried to, to prove his innocence and, and get out and even get revenge on Potiphar and his wife. But instead, Joseph grew in patience knowing that God would ultimately get him where he needed to go. The longer we have to wait, often we are tempted to forsake our values, to forsake our integrity, to say whatever it takes to get out of this prison. But ultimately, the way that Joseph got out was he served his way out of the prison. And finally, Joseph grew in humility. He grew in humility. In Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 14, Pharaoh has now had a dream, and his cupbearer, who Joseph had interpreted his dream, remembers that, that Joseph is the one who can interpret dreams, and so he calls for him. And this is what Pharaoh says to Joseph, beginning in verse 14. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he, he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. 
but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I cannot do it, but God can do it. See, in this moment, Joseph is positioned to gloat. Joseph is positioned to say, yeah, that's right. What they say about me is true. What they've said about me is true. I can do it. I can interpret the dreams, but instead he says, I can't, but God can. See, a lot of times it's easy to receive the praise and receive the things that other people say about you. Notice in that verse, three times Pharaoh says, I've heard it said of you that when you hear dreams, you can interpret them. And Joseph's quick to say, no, it's not me. I can't do it, but God can do it. We, we live in a culture right now that, that loves to just repeat what other people are saying about us. Like, I'm not going to say it about myself, but like if someone else says something good about me, if they tag me, I'm probably going to, you know, I'm probably going to go ahead and probably going to go ahead. I once heard someone say the, the appropriate response to online praise is never the share button. It's never the share button. And that's what in this moment, Joseph had the opportunity to do. He had the opportunity to, to take the position of, yeah, I, I can do what you're saying I can do. This is my gift. And the truth is, it was Joseph's gift. God gave the gift of interpreting dreams to Joseph. He could have claimed it as his own. But instead he said, no, everything God's given me comes from God. And I can't do it, but God will give you the answer that you're looking for. First Peter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. Humble yourself and God will exalt you. See, in this moment, Joseph is one step away from being exalted into more power than he's ever known. But instead of trying to grab it for himself, he gives the glory to God. Instead of trying to grab it for himself, he deflects. Instead of taking the praise for himself, he deflects. So see, the way that you are able to count it as joy when you walk through trials is that you realize that there is no trial in your life that God will not use to grow you. There is no trial in your life that God will not use to mature you. There is no trial that God will use or not use in your life to make you more equipped to step into the life that he has for you. The, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, I, I think it's no accident that, that James is saying, listen, when you go through trials, you actually somehow need to find a way to still have joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you walk through trials without even some sense of joy, you're not gonna have the strength that you need to walk through those trials. You're not gonna have the strength that you need to persevere, to allow God's, to allow the perseverance to do the work that God wants to do, to finish its work in you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?